we're in, we're in the book of John, and we've just started. Verses 1 through 18 is like a prologue. It's almost like the table of contents. John sets up all this stuff. He gives us clues of what's going to be talked about for the whole rest of the book. And, and as he does that, um, this is what's going on in that prologue. Now, we finish the prologue. We're moving now to verse 19 in John chapter 1. And I want to read this uh, 19 through 28 for you. Uh, you can listen to it at home. You can follow along if you have it in your Bible or on your phone. He says, now this was John's testimony. That's John the Baptist he's talking about now. John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptized with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So now John started to launch into his book. He's laying this, he's told us the, with what the uh, table of contents is, and, and now he's beginning with John the Baptist. Now, the point of John's book, he has already told us, the point of John's book is to see, to believe, and to worship Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, right? But we have to understand the type of book John is writing. This is different in ways from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because John's not writing a linear biography. That's not what he's doing. He wants to tell us stories. He wants to accomplish his purpose of this is why I'm writing this book. So that you would see, you know, behold the Lamb of God. You would see, you would believe, you would worship in your life Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us stories. Now he kind of fits them in. It kind of follows along. But it's not always that way. Sometimes things are jumbled around a little bit. And that's okay. Because if you think about this, we do this all the time. Now, as a pastor, I do funerals. And sometimes what I do, especially if I don't know the person, I meet with the family beforehand. And I'll ask them things like, what was this person like? What kind of person was she or he? What did you love about him? What did you love about her? And what would happen is they wouldn't start this way. They wouldn't say, okay, well, let us tell you her life story. She was born, you know, in this part of Virginia, and, and she, grew, she went to this elementary school, then she went to middle school, then she went to high school, and she went here, and she did this, and she got married. They don't, they don't fashion, when they, I ask somebody about someone and what they remember about that person, they don't fashion this linear biography of this person. What do they do? What happens? Well, it happens, we, we do this kind of stuff all the time. It happens when they start saying, well, you know, he was the kind of guy that would just give you the shirt off his back. That's the kind of guy he was. She was the kind of person who would just do, that's the kind of person she was. In fact, just, just a few months ago, she said this to me. And somebody else, maybe the whole family's at the table, somebody will say, you know, a couple of years ago, he did, the, he did this for me. Look, this is what he did. And somebody else might say, well, you know, I remember when I was just little. And, and, and he did this, or she did this. What are they doing? They're reminiscing. They're telling stories that tell you about that person, but they're not putting them in order. One of them doesn't go and say, wait, a month ago? No, wait till all the other previous stuff gets done before you tell us what happened a month ago. No, they just tell it. 
And this is what, in a sense, this is what John is doing. He is going to follow, you know, a timeline in a sense, but he's not concerned about that. That's not even what he's thinking about. He's thinking about, let me tell you about Jesus. This is the kind of man he is. This is the kind, this is the God that he is. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so John doesn't necessarily, his book can jump around some, but this is the way we talk about people. So we're going to look at this. It's this John uh, 1, 19 to 28. And the question is, we read this, who are you? Talking about John the Baptist. All right, first I want you to see, this is an odd question. At least to me, this strikes me as odd. Nobody ever comes up to me and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you? That doesn't happen very often, unless they think I'm not supposed to be there. I've had that happen a few times, but we won't go into that, all right? So they come up to him, and they say, not lately, not lately, okay. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent the priests and the Levites to ask him who he was. So this is what's going on, and we have to understand, because this is John's testimony. John the Baptist, this is his testimony. So John the evangelist who wrote this book, he's saying, this is like testimony. This is like a courtroom. It is someone who is going to offer proof for something. Someone's going to establish the truth. They're going to confirm. They're going to deny a claim. And John the Baptist is this interesting character that we have. He's a bold preacher. He didn't teach in the cities where most of the people were. He taught out in the desert. They give us a clue. It's not the Bethany you read about sometimes. It's a different Bethany, but it's on the other side of the Jordan. It's a good ways away. And he would preach out in the desert, and people would walk all the way out there to listen to him. Crowds would do this. So he was, obviously, this was powerful. It was compelling. He was popular. And it caught the attention. Here's the key. It caught the attention of the establishment. It caught the attention of the Jewish leaders. They've been watching. And these leaders, it probably refers to the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, that group of people. They've been watching for a while, and they admit that. So they, they decide to send a delegation to say, who are you? And that's that odd question. Because they knew who he was. That was no secret. His father was Zechariah, a priest who served at the temple. John, therefore... John the Baptist is a priest. Now, we don't know if he spent time serving at the temple or if he just went out in the wilderness when it was time. So we don't know, but he was in line to do that. He would serve in the temple because he was a priest. So they knew that already. That's not any kind of a secret. So they knew, they knew him, but they're, they're talking about something different. They're asking something about his role. They're asking about his authority. They're asking him a theological question. Not, 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 not a personal question about his person. Because he has attracted people. He's packed up, he's hiked out in the wilderness, and he started this preaching campaign that people are flocking to. And people don't flock out in the, des in the desert in the hot Middle Eastern sun for fun. So God must be involved in some way, and John, God is using him, and they're, they're looking at this, and they're interested, and they're also worried. Because we see this over and over throughout the Gospels. They're interested in power. They're interested in power. And so they want to know, what's your authority? Who, who gave you the right to do this? By what authority are you saying what you're saying? Because those in authority are often consumed with holding on to authority. 
Those in power are often consumed with holding on to power. That's a natural human tendency that we can struggle with. And so they want to know what's going on. John preached boldly with great authority, unlike others in his days. Now, where did he get it? They're asking this. Something notable is happening here, and they want to know. Is he just an unconventional, dynamic speaker, or is there something more going on here? Now, seeking to answer that question is not a wrong thing to do. But the key is this. What is your response to the answer of that question? Because if you're asking, is God at work here? If you find out God is at work, then what's your response? Because now it's incumbent on you to respond. And the answer to that question can be the difference between life and death. Now, we know kind of how they're thinking about this because we have another story. Let me just read this to you in Matthew chapter 21, in verses 23 to 27. This is when Jesus is in the temple, and they're asking a very similar question. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come? From heaven, or like from God, or from man? And they discussed among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, then he will say, why didn't you believe him? See, we know right now, they're coming to John not because they're interested in believing his message. They're interested in figuring out how to handle this situation because they're the ones in power. They're the ones with authority. And they discuss among themselves. They say, yeah, we didn't believe him. We didn't believe he was from God. And then they said, uh, if we say that he was just a man, they said we're, they became afraid for the crowd because the crowd thought John was a prophet. So they say, we're not going to tell you the answer. And Jesus said, well, you don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. You know, almost this little, little middle school thing going on here, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. So, okay, I just said that about Jesus. I'm sorry. That's not exactly right. Jesus knows what he's doing because he's already told them by what authority he came. He's already done that previously, but they, they're, they're trying to trap him. But the key there is, is what they really thought about John the Baptist when they came out to ask him, who are you? They really thought this. We don't believe him. We just got to get this under control, all right? So they don't, they're not really interested in the answer. But finding out the answer, if God is working in something, is very key because it can't mean the answer between life and death. It can mean the answer between eternal life and spending eternity apart from God. So they're asking the right question, but they're asking it for the wrong reasons. They have the wrong intent. And so for us, we need to ask the right questions, but we got to be willing to respond when we get the answer. Now, they come to John, and these are the people in power. These are the people in authority, right? Um, they come to John, and it's moments like these that can be significant times of temptation for someone who teaches and preaches. The press has arrived. The cameras are rolling. A nation is watching. Who are you? How's John going to answer? Because this could be a golden opportunity to really move up, right? This could be a golden opportunity. Finally, the important people have taken notice of him, and he can show the world what he's made of, his skill. You talk about, talk about his skill of preaching. You talk about the hardships that he's been through to get where he is now out in the desert. And he could say something to the effect, you know, uh, it's not about me. You know, it's not about me really, but these people aren't coming for nothing. Because that's easy to do. Let me tell you, that's easy for pastors to do. That's easy for, for, for um, 
for teachers to do. It's easy for people who write books to do. It's very easy. Give that false humility and, and deflect and say, oh, you know, it's all God. And something like that and sound very pious and very humble. And so what is he going to do here? Because he could make this about him. But that is not what he does. He gives to an odd question. He gives an odd answer. Here we go. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet, of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So here's what he's saying. He's being very careful. He's, if you notice this, he answers in negatives. All three times they ask him a question. And the first time is, is a little difficult to translate from the Greek to the English. The, the uh, NIV says that he said um, um, he, he, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely. What it is is there's a double negative there that's hard to translate. But basically what he's saying is that I am not, not the Christ, the Messiah. So he's strongly emphasizing that. And it's important to see something here. What is John doing? He's pushing, pushing the, the, the attention away from himself and towards Christ. He's, the way he answers that first question immediately puts Christ up in front, puts the Messiah on, in, in front of everyone. Because they're asking, who are you? And he goes, I'm not the Messiah. So now that's the subject. He's pushing it away from him to others. Because John knows, he knows why they're there. He understands their motives. They're asking him, are you going to be a threat to our positions of power? So he brings up Messiah because the Messiah is the ultimate threat to their positions of power. And so in verse 21, it, 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 makes, it makes sense. They ask him, well, then are you, are, are you um, Elijah? Because he dresses like Elijah. It talk, talks about how he, dress, he dresses like Elijah and, and he preaches forcefully like Elijah. He proclaims the necessity of repentance and of wholeheartedness, of returning to the Lord. That's what Elijah talked about, right? And so they ask him, they ask him, are you, are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. And then the third one they say is, are you the prophet? And that's, that's from an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like you from among all their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command them. This is looking ahead, and some people thought maybe this was going to be the Messiah. Some people thought this was going to be some important, very, very important person who's going to change things for Israel. And he says, no, I'm not him. You, you think about how this is going for them. They, they keep asking him. He keeps saying no, and they're beginning to run out of categories. And so finally they say, well, then who are you? And, and it's kind of this, this little plaintive cry. Um, we've got to have something for the people who sent us, or we get in big trouble. You don't want us to get in big trouble, do you, John? You know, and so they're, they're saying, please help us out, dude. And they didn't say dude, but it kind of is like that. So, so and, and he says, okay, I will help you out. Verse 23, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So he says, that, now this is who I am. And he, he quotes this book from the book of Isaiah, saying, this is, this is me. Now let me, let me read you this passage, just to give you a little more context in Isaiah that he quotes. A voice of one calling 
In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this, uh, the, there's a beautiful, uh, Handel's Messiah is an incredibly beautiful um, uh, music and a play all wrapped together, and, and this is in it. Um, there's a great part here um, where they talk about Every valley, you know, they talk about it will come down. The valleys will come up. The mountains will go down. And, and the, the rough places we made plain. Now, this is something that they would understand very easily. Uh, back in those days with, with Roman Caesars and before that with other famous kings from Media, uh, from the Medes and the Persians or from the Babylonians, if the king, the Caesar, the ruler, was ever going to go visit like a, a governor or a smaller king in some nation, they would announce, we're coming in, you know, in six months, I'm going to come visit your palace to check up on things. And what they would do is, however they came, maybe they came by boat, they would build a new road that would lead directly from where that boat would dock to the door of the palace. And they would do everything they could to make that a smooth, straight road. So it created the not even the least inconvenience or bump for this for this ruler who was, who was coming. And so they would talk about how they would move mountains and fill in valleys and put in this, make a rough place, very, very, you know, move all the rocks away and, and like that. That was normal. And so what God is saying here is the king is coming. The king is coming. So make straight the way. Remove the mountains, fill in the valleys, make the rough places plain and, and smooth is the idea because the king is coming, because the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now, think about what John is saying. When he just quotes that little bit, they know the whole passage. They have that all memorized. He says, I'm the one, I'm the one saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the road. And they're going, you're the person who the glory of the Lord is going to follow? The glory of the Lord is coming. See, he's making a, an, an incredible statement here. He's metaphorically preparing for the, for the Messiah. Get ready for the king. John was a voice, and that voice still cries out to us today, prepare the way of the Lord. Remove the obstacles. Remove the obstacles in your heart that keep him from coming into your life, that keep you from worshiping Him fully. Repent of the idols that you treasure more than God. Return to Him, and He will return to you. And it's key to notice here, they don't, they don't comment too much on this because actually they don't really care about what His message is. They care about authority and power. And they're worried that that's where the threat... So they say, who's giving you the right? to say this. They, they, they're bringing that up as they go uh, further into this. They're saying, basically, who's giving you the right to say this? So we have an odd question. We have an odd answer. And now we have a new way. And this is from 24 on. He says, now the Pharisees who had been sent uh, questioned him, saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Who gives you the right to baptize? Verse 26, I baptized with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. 
He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so they say to him, listen, who gives you the right to do this? Because here's, we have to understand what baptism was back then. It's different from what we think of now. Back then, Gentiles were required to baptize themselves in a pool if they were converting to Judaism. But the key was they would just have a pool of water and the Gentile would baptize themselves. They'd just step in and come out, and it was kind of symbolic of, of, of converting. Now, there were some times where Jews baptized themselves. It had to do with kind of a ceremony, a, a ritual they would do before uh, by the temple or by uh, the tabernacle when it was there. And it wasn't about repentance. It wasn't about getting right with God because they believed they were right with God just because they were Jews. And so it was this just this ceremonial thing. But that also was a self-baptism. Someone baptizing someone else was unheard of. And it was something that struck them is that this is very profound. Who, what makes you think it, it bothered them? Because one of the things that John the Baptist was doing, the thing he was doing, he was baptizing Jews. And their whole thought is, we don't need you to baptize us. We're Jews. We're good people. We're the people. We're God's people. We're the chosen ones. We don't need you to baptize us. And so John baptizing people, especially Jews, is very, very controversial. This is probably one of the things that made them come out there because they're like, he's doing something that is problematic for us. And this new way that I'm talking about here is a unique, unique way uh, that involves our view of ourself and our view of Jesus. It's almost as if John is saying, you guys just don't get it. Stop paying attention to me. It's not about me. You think I'm important, but there's someone here who you don't even know yet that is immensely more important to me that's just off the scale in terms of important to me. Um, he says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Now, that's a real profound statement, we don't, we, but we can look forward to when Jesus washes feet. We know what he did was he did what the, the lowest person or a slave did. But there's a rabbi at that time, Joshua ben Levi, who said, all manner of service that a slave must render to his master, a pupil must render to his teacher. So he's saying a, a, a disciple to a rabbi is supposed to behave like a slave to his master. And then he says, except one thing, no disciple has to take off a rabbi's shoe. That's too, that's too low for them. That's something only a slave does. Only a slave does. And John says, I'm not worthy to take off his shoe. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal. I'm not even worthy to be a slave. This is the distance that's between us. And so you have this, when he says this, he's, he's, you know, metaphorically screaming, I'm not worthy to do the very lowest thing. Now, this is what's important here. I've, I've, a number of people have commented on this. Um, Tim Keller and a few others have written quite a bit on this. Um, because what is going on here? People will say, isn't that a bad thing to think that? Isn't that what our problem is? Low self-esteem, lack of confidence, 
to despise yourself, to not see the greatest that's in you. When John says, I'm not worthy, isn't that a terrible thing that he's saying that? Well, it's because there's two ways of saying I'm not worthy. One way of saying I'm not worthy is to say I despise myself. I dislike myself. I hate myself. I'm nothing. Another way to say I'm not worthy is I've gotten free of myself and put myself, I forget myself and look at something else. One way is destructive. The other way leads to healthy Christian humility. Now, I want to say something. I know, because this is kind of an overview, this is going to be brief. I know there's times where self-care is needed. Don't read me wrong on this. I'm just laying out some broad stuff here. I know there's times when self-care is needed. I know there's time when, when, when help is needed in people's lives. And I know there are times when a person's view of themselves can be extremely destructive in their life. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about a way that can be incredibly constructive in a person's life. And let me give you an example of it from Paul. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, Paul's saying something really interesting here, because here's what he's saying. I care little about being judged by you. I don't care what you think. That's what he's saying. I don't care what you think. And, and what happens? Um, this is pushing against having an inferiority complex. It's pushing against saying, I'm a failure. I'm so bad. I don't like myself. I say, I can just say, you know what? I don't care what you think. Because an inferiority complex really is being incredibly self-centered. The focus is all on you. And it's crippling. Because you measure yourself against others. You compare yourself to others. Let me tell you, if there's something you can... Oh, no, this isn't one of those. You know, sometimes, remember when teachers, you know, when you're a kid or when you're in school, teachers say, if there's one thing you remember, remember this, right? Because I always used to say, if I write that down and remember it, do I have to come anymore? Because you gave me the one thing. Okay, if there's one thing that is important, this is one of them. Comparison robs you of joy. Comparison robs you of joy. As soon as you start comparing yourself to other people, it will rob you of joy. You look at some people and you go, I'm better than them. And you become superior, like an elitist. You look at some people and you go, oh, I can't measure up to them. And you hate yourself and you beat yourself down. Both of those are destructive. Both of those are incredibly destructive. Comparison robs you of joy. And so Paul says, I don't care what you think. And our first thought is like, oh, okay, he's, 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 he's getting that kind of elitist superiority thing. But then he says, because he says, I don't care what, I, I have care little, very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And so now he's saying, I don't even care what I think. It's an interesting thing. He says, I don't care what you think. And people say, oh, what a good self-image. He's gotten in touch with himself. He's found out who he is and gotten in touch with his needs. But Paul says, yeah, but I don't even care what I think. Because if I care what you think, I drown in focusing on me and can hate myself. If I care what I think, I become superior. I think I'm the best. If I only care what I think, then I say this. I say, I don't care what others think. I don't care what culture thinks. I don't care what... And, and where does that lead? I see this oftentimes when people... And they don't say this. I don't care what the Bible thinks, Bible says. They don't say that, but what they say is, uh, that's too harsh for me. I'm not going to, I don't like that. And what are they saying? I don't care. I don't care. And, and uh, I do what I want. 
And that creates a condescension condescension and an arrogance and superiority. And so Paul shatters this wisdom that we see around us all the time. He says, I don't care what you think, and I don't care what I think. I have let myself down, so I'm not going to put too much stock in me. You've let me down, I'm not going to put too much stock in you. He says, the Lord is my judge. I care what he thinks. I care what he thinks. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent because he said, I can even do the wrong things when I think I'm doing the right thing. And if there was ever a person who did the wrong thing when he thought he was doing the right thing for God, it was the Apostle Paul. He persecuted Christians in his early life. Put them in jail. Some died. And he thought his conscience told him he was doing the right thing. And so Paul says this, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord. The Lord is my judge. I only care what God thinks. He tells me what he thinks. Now, this is this new way. Because anybody can say, I don't care what you think. Anybody can say, I don't care what I think. But to say, I care what the Lord thinks. That's where I'm going to put my, you know, I'm going to put my stock in that. I'm going to go all in on that. That's what Christians are able to do. We can say, I'm cleansed. I'm made new. This, now God looks at me and God says, okay, any one of us, he, he, he looks and says, this is my daughter, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what God thinks. That's what's so important. You can be driven by what others think about you. It can be horrible. It is a slavery. You can be driven by what you think about you, which also can be horrible and is a form of slavery. Or you can be driven by what God thinks about you, and that's freedom. That frees you, frees you to live the way you were supposed to be made. And so John the Baptist here, what is he saying? He's saying, I am way past myself. I'm way past myself. Anything you ask me, I'm going to point to Christ. You know, the first thing they say, you know, are you, are you the Messiah? No, I am not. No, 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 I'm not. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ which is a real conversation starter if you ever get into a crowd and they're saying, hey, I am so-and-so. Who are you? You say, I am not the Christ. And then just let the conversation begin, right? It'll just start going. Don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to go, right? As soon as you answer that way, people are like, what the heck? <laughs> then, yeah, I don't know. They might send, look at you and go, well, then are you Elijah? <laughs> like that. And, and so what is he doing? He's, he's, he's saying, no, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm past me. It's not inferiority. It's not superiority. It's like self-forgetfulness. It's putting yourself. And that is such a freeing place to be in a person's life. He points away from Jesus. He points away from himself and towards Jesus. He says, I know that I'm unworthy, but I know what he thinks of me, and his opinion is the only opinion that matters. And so next week, as we go into we will delve more into what does this mean then? What is this telling us? And some of what John the Baptist is saying, and then as we move on even deeper into the book of John and what John is saying. But already, in a sense, the first, um, I always think in terms of military, the first salvo has been fired. And John has said, John the Baptist has said, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. This passage is why all the time at this church, we say, this is not about you. 
because that is the freest, most empowering way to live your life. And we see that the Apostle John has started this book. He's given us the prologue. He says, what is my point here? I want you to see Jesus. I want you to, I want you to get to know Jesus. I want you to worship and glorify Jesus. And he, it's almost like the very first thing he says, now, let me show you what that looks like. Let me give you a, a real-world example. John the Baptist, he recognized who he was. He was coming to point to someone else. And in a sense, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're John the Baptist. You are to point to someone else, not yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for a man who went wholeheartedly all in for you, uh, gave everything up, including his life, to follow after you. And even, even at times when he struggled and wasn't sure, Lord, you answered, you loved him, and he pointed to you. And so, Lord, help us to have that attitude. Help us to understand what it is to point to you, to live for you, to not all be, be all about ourselves. Help us, Lord, to recognize the times, and myself included, God, to recognize the times when I am being all about me. Help me to see that and get away from it. Help, help us, help me to see the times when I am comparing myself to others, and it is destroying me. And for all of us, Lord, we come before you, and we ask that you would work, we would, and that you would give us the privilege of seeing you work in this world, in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. And we come not because we are worthy. We come because of Jesus, who has accomplished for us on the cross what we could never do for ourselves. And because of that, we are your child, your son, your daughter, in whom you are well pleased. Thank you for that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.